Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, and this week we're doing the letter D. We're looking at two vote relating to denominations. Rav Moshe Feinstein has many, many two vote, probably around 30 two vote relating to conservative and reform Jews, conservative and reform rabbis. It was a major issue of his day. And not only in terms of the halachic issues that it raised, but also a lot of questions of policy and how much does one want to see them as dealing with a different segment of the population that's not observing mitzvot and that we're all trying to get everybody involved in their Jewish identity? Or do you see them as representing, because of their different denominational identity, a a threat representing a alternative to Orthodox Judaism and a challenge to what is the true faith, um, which is a lot of how Rav Moshe Feinstein viewed them and viewed it as a threat of taking Orthodox Jews away from Orthodoxy and a life of Torah and mitzvot and attracting them to a different denominational identity, a different synagogue. And that certainly was part of the background here. So one thing to be thinking about when we look at these two vote is how much is that informed um, or would that change based on a person's perspective and policy around these issues? How much are these technical halachic uh, considerations? Another important thing to be aware of is the difference between uh, conservative, reform, and non-observant Orthodox, and the difference also between rabbis and laity. Rav Moshe certainly saw reform as much, much worse in terms of the question about a commitment to Torah and halacha, in terms of its beliefs, um, something that was in complete opposition to an orthodox perspective and set of commitments and belief system. Conservative, of course, uh, could be very different depending on the conservative congregation and the conservative rabbi. And his attitude towards conservative uh, rabbis um, and Jews is more nuanced. Sometimes it's very absolute. Sometimes it reflects greater nuance. Both of those are contrasted to non-observant orthodox, which he treated with much more sympathy. As long as you are committed to the right belief system and you understand what your obligations are, then even if you're not living up to them, that makes you much more part of the inner group and one that deserves a greater attitude or, or a halachic position of inclusion in Rav Moshe's eyes than some that represent a different denomination, a different set of beliefs and of commitments. Finally, there uh, the difference between the laity and the leadership. Rav Moshe was, in general, obviously more sympathetic to the laity, which he felt were people that could be A, were not knowledgeable enough to know otherwise, people that might be able to be attracted to a greater life of observance, whereas the leadership he saw as those who were knowledgeable, could have chosen and understood what orthodoxy was offering, and also those that were leading people astray. Again, this is Rav Moshe's perspective. Others could have seen very much as attending to a different part of the con- of the community that is not observant and trying to keep them connected. But certainly in the years that Rav Moshe was dealing with, there were many, many battles between conservative synagogues and Orthodox. It is not at all surprising, both in terms of his general worldview and in terms of the fights on the ground, that he saw these other denominations uh, not as taking a different piece of the pie, but as profoundly threatening uh, what Orthodoxy uh, represented and the Orthodox community. The two we're going to look at today is from Orchaim Bet Nun, Volume 2, uh, Chuva 50. 
and it is on the question of the of a bracha made by a conservative or reform rabbi. In this tshuva, he deals with rabbi. We'll see another related tshuva where he deals with a conservative and reformed Jew who's not a rabbi. Um, and I have to say at the outset that this I find this tshuva and the related ones on this topic to be some of the most uh, disturbing, even understanding Rav Moshe's perspective and his concern about creating a sense of distance and concerns about validating these other denominations, because we'll see what he says here about whether the bracha said by a conservative reform rabbi has any validity. He will say it does not, and we'll see why it does not. So the, the question is the following. The, the heading of the tshuva reads, Binyan bracha she'amar apikoris, inhi bracha Regarding a bracha said by a heretic, is it a bracha that can discharge other people of their obligation. This heretic makes a bracha and uh, and I say, Amen, can I eat from the bread? Have I fulfilled my obligation? Um, or and I, am I even permitted to say Amen to such a bracha? Obligated or even permitted to say Amen? Now, I want to stop for a minute on the word apikarisk because this really reflects Rav Moshe's entire halachic approach towards conservative and reform rabbis and even Jews, but more again rabbis, which is that the basic category is we could talk about are they observant, not observant, conservative Jews, do they keep Shabbos, driving to Shul on Shabbos, uh, raise those types of questions. But again, that would not distinguish them from non-observant Orthodox. We tend to be nowadays uh, more sympathetic to that. Uh, you know, the, one of the principles is Tino Kinishba. People are raised in a different type of a culture, have to, outside types of influences, other reasons to not apply some of these strict categories of exclusion normally based on a lack of observance or lack of observing Shabbat and so on. So that is not the category used here because that's one that has more softness to it and certainly one that would be equally applied to non-observant Orthodox as opposed to the other denominations. The category that Rav Moshe puts the other denominations in is apikaris, is that they represent a heresy. They are heretics, they represent a heretical belief system, and therefore that is going to lead to a much stronger categories um, and halachot of exclusion. So actually an interesting point, if you want to find all of the tshuvas of Rav Moshe Feinstein relating to the other denominations, you know, there's an index to the tshuvas of Rav Moshe Feinstein called the Yad Moshe. And the way you can find all the tshuvas relating to reforming conservative Jews is you look under the word kfira, uh, which is basically heresy. If you look under apikaris, it refers you to kfira. So for Rav Moshe, heresy and uh, apikaris, kfira, that is the basic defining category for uh, conservative and reform uh, rabbis in particular. So here's what he says. He says, the question is the following. It's not dated, um, although this volume was published in 1963, so it's before or uh, it's on or before 1963. campaign. What you, the questioner, you've asked that because of, of a fundraising campaign that you're doing, for the sake of supporting Israel, our gain bank to create, a, to make a banquet, and therefore you have to invite also reforming conservative rabbis. It's a broad community banquet in support of Israel. And again, an important point, it's cute to read words like campaign and banquet in his, uh, 
is uh, sort of English words spelled out in Hebrew letters, but when he gets to rabbis, there's obviously a Hebrew word, rabbanim, but when Rav Moshe deals with conservative and reform, again, not to give them any sense of recognition to their status as rabbis, he does not call them rav or rabbanim, it's always rabbi. So can we, so you're inviting these rabbis, these other leaders of the community, and you want to give them various honors, so it's going to be at the banquet, you'll ask your colleague, the reform rabbi, the conservative rabbi, to make the hamotzi for everyone, um, maybe to say a prayer for the state of, state of Israel, and you want to know if there's possibly some some type of a, you know, uh, a small little problem that might be here, because the questioner couldn't imagine what serious problem there would be, but maybe it's not appropriate to give them an honor, would that maybe be, again, sort of condoning, acknowledging, recognizing their role, and so on. So Rav Moshe, in this tshuva, rather than dealing with the policy concerns about giving some type of recognition, he actually frames this as a halachic issue. Can you say amen to a bracha from a conservative and reform rabbi? Now, what could the question be? Here the person is saying, blessed are you, O Lord, you know, king of the universe who creates, you know, who takes bread from the land, you know, everything was through your word. Why should that not be a legitimate bracha, no matter what you think about this person's observance? So if Moshe says the following, he says, even if the person said the bracha exactly in the right way, completely halachically right, you made the bracha, you didn't speak between the bracha and eating the bread. Since he rejects God and God's Torah, Kirov HaRabbis Jelahem, like the majority of their rabbis, interesting, he's acknowledging it's not all of them, but the majority of the rabbis, Shanim Sushazkar HaShem Rak Kidvarim Ba'alma, Lo When he says the word God, he's not talking about God. It's like he said any other word. It's like he said Fred instead of God. And Ein Bracha Klal, that doesn't constitute a halachic bracha, it's like without even saying God's name. Now, the reason I find this so harsh is not just the consequence of saying it's not a legitimate bracha. If somebody wanted to find a source, I don't know what the source would be, but to say somehow a bracha said by somebody who is Nacho Meshabis or somebody who is a kofer, rejects our halachic system, therefore it doesn't have the halachic weight of a bracha, that's one thing, okay? That's like, a, for whatever reason, halachically it doesn't count. But Rav Moshe is saying that the reason it doesn't count is because when they say God, they're not even talking about God. And it's not a technical point that it doesn't have halachically count as a bracha. He says the word God doesn't mean anything to them. And I find this, look, no matter how profound our disagreements, theological disagreements with Reform and conservative Jews, however their beliefs might differ in terms of theological questions of Torah, questions about halacha, and so on, to say they don't believe in God, that they don't believe in a God who created the world, a God who, you know, brings uh, the fruit of the tree, that brings the grain from the ground, and that, that the bracha doesn't mean anything, that seems to me profoundly harsh and just profoundly, you know, dismissive of even sort of recognizing some basic common shared belief system that we all hold. So I would like to believe that 
He's motivated to do this because he's trying to find a technical way to disqualify the bracha because of more of these broader attitudes and policy concerns. But I find it uh, really, really challenging that the way he comes to this conclusion is by saying that they don't even mean it when they're saying, when you know, the word God doesn't mean anything to them in the context of a bracha. Now, how does he make this argument? He makes this argument by quoting a Rambam. And he says that the Rambam, umikori, now he realizes he needs a source for saying such a thing, right? Because it's not actually going to be, let's do a survey and ask them if they believe in God. So how do we sort of formally say that because of who they are, it's as if they're not saying God's name with any meaning? So he bases this formal approach on a Rambam. Rambam in Hilchos Yesodei Torah says that if an apikoris, who, a Jewish apikoris wrote a Sefer Torah, you would burn it with the names of God. And this is quoting from the Rambam because he doesn't believe in the sanctity of the name of God. And he feels it's like anything else. And therefore, this name has not of God's name in the Torah isn't sanctified. So that's why burning a Sefer Torah is not a violation of destroying something with God's name on it because it doesn't have the sanctity of God's name. And then Rambam goes on and says not to leave some type of a remnant of the product of the act of this apikaris. And as Rav Moshe says, because it's one thing to say that it doesn't have the sanctity of God's name, it's another thing to say, thing to say we're supposed to burn it. So if we're supposed to burn it is because we don't want this thing that was produced by an apikaris, but that's only allowed once we say it doesn't have the sanctity of God's name. So Rav Moshe then concludes from this is you see that when an apikaris writes God's name, it doesn't even mean God. Now, that seems to be a big jump in a few ways, because Rambam says it doesn't have the sanctity of God's name, like the special sanctity and the halachas that apply to God's name written in a Sefer Torah, that might not apply by somebody who doesn't buy into the whole system, doesn't buy into the sense of, of the sanctity of God's name, and so on. But does that mean that it's not God's name at all? Or does it just a technical question of a laws of Sefer Torah and what types of things imbue that name with sanctity? So Rav Moshe deals with that, and in the course of the tshuva, he tries to demonstrate that if it were considered God's name just without the sanctity, then it still wouldn't be allowed to burn it, and the fact that you're allowed to burn it shows it's not even considered God's name. Um, that is a little bit of questionable, because he concedes along his discussion that once it doesn't have the sanctity, you are allowed to burn it if you have a justifiable reason to do so, an important overarching concern to be doing it. So it would seem that that's the point number one, which you really cannot derive from Rambam. The most obvious thing to derive from Rambam is it doesn't have the special sanctity, not that it's not considered God's name at all. But what Rav Moshe is now saying is, if Rav Moshe says, I'm going to read from this, that it does, it's not considered God's name at all. So if an Apikar writes God's name and it's not God's name, so if an Apikar says God's name, it's also like you're not saying God's name. It's like you're saying Fred or George, you're not saying God. But the other problem, or the other reason that Rav Moshe as a halachic argument before even worrying about the issue of conservative and reform just in the context of apikaris is questionable is it has to do with Rambam's precise use of terms and uh, questions about the printed version of Rambam rather than the original text. The printed version of Rambam says apikaris as Rav Moshe says but the original text actually says about Sefer Torah of a min Yisraeli, Shikas of Sefer Torah, if a Jewish min, a heretic. Now, how is a heretic different than an apikaris? We tend to use those words interchangeably. But Rambam in Hilchos Tshuva, in uh, Perek Gimel of Hilchos Tshuva, actually makes different categories. And he says, There are five people who are called a min. Who's a min? Distinct from an apikaris. A min is, Ein Shamelo 
you deny that God exists, or that yes, God exists, but there are two gods, or that uh, there is a God, but God is embodied, God is, you know, God has a physical form. So for Rambam, Amin is somebody who really doesn't believe in God, who has such a corrupt understanding of God that it's not the God we're talking about. And then in the next halacha, halacha chet, Rambam says, There are three apikars who are called apikars. Who is that? Who denies prophecy, who denies the prophecy of Moses, who denies that the Torah is from heaven. So that is very different than a fundamental rejection of God. So even to the degree that Rav Moshe is correct, that his reading of Rambam, that an apikars who writes God's name, it's not even considered God's name. That's because Raman was talking about a category who actually actively reject God. So what Rav Moshe glides over, that maybe he wasn't aware of this issue about the printing versus the manuscript, and he basically says, look, this is a cat- this is a halacha. And apikars is considered that when they say God's name, we don't recognize it as God's name. And therefore, if an apikars says it in a bracha, then they're not saying God's name, and it doesn't constitute a bracha. Again, what I would like to believe is not that he genuinely thought that conservative and reform rabbis or conservative and reform Jews don't believe in God, but that he still is understanding this as a halachic category, that we don't really ask them and try to figure out individually what they believe. He even said before, the majority of them are apikarsim and so on. But what we are saying is if you're part of this group that we are labeling and Rav Moshe is labeling as heresy and apikaris, etc., then the halachic status of somebody who is identifies that way and is a member of that group is that we treat the bracha, what Whatever your personal belief system is, we treat the bracha as if you have not really said God's name. You are so considered to be so out of our same conversation that it's not even like you said God's name and therefore it's not a bracha. And then Rav Moshe goes on to say, and therefore, obviously, you cannot fulfill their obligation through them. And whether you can say amen or not say amen, uh, Rav Moshe has some question about it since at the surface of it, it looks like a proper bracha. Is that enough of a legitimate bracha that you can say amen, or is it a bracha levatala because of these types of concerns about how we say what it really means? And he goes back and forth about whether or not you can say amen. So again, I find this of Rav Moshe's general psakim the harshest because of what it suggests about the belief system. And even if you're saying it as a halachic position and not as what they actually believe, but to say as a halachic position, I treat it that when you say God, you're not talking about God. Um, that to me creates a huge barrier between any sense of connection that we might have. And one would like to believe that we are trying to maintain certain barriers and necessary barriers, but but also to find a shared sense of community that we should sort of see ultimately we're all part of Kla Yisrael. And there are other two of us of Rav Moshe where that attitude does reflect itself, but not here. And I think here maybe he just felt to give a rabbi an honor and let them make a bracha and so on was something he really did not want to see because of policy concerns. And within that context, the tshuva that he wrote was one that said that we can't even recognize this as a bracha at all and as the name of God actually meaning anything in this context. Related to this tshuva about saying answering amen to a bracha in some honor in a banquet are a number of tshuvas that Rav Moshe deals with, uh, particularly in the third volume on Or Chaim, which was published in 1973, but the tshuvas are from earlier, about giving honors to conservative and reform rabbis or lay people in a synagogue. Here, he is consistent with his approach, and it's also fascinating because he distinguishes, again, between uh, conservative and reform and non-observant orthodox. So we'll look very briefly at two of these. One is from, again, Orchheim 312. It's not dated, so it's 1973 or earlier. 
And the question was, Can you give an aliyah to somebody who's not Shabbos observance? And he says, he starts by saying, take a look at what I wrote, that if somebody is an apikaris, their bracha doesn't mean anything. So obviously, if somebody's in that category, you can't give them an aliyah to the Torah because then you're doing you're reading the Torah without the brachas that come before in each aliyah. And then he says, so that means, again, anybody who falls in that category, conservative and reform rabbis, we'll see about laity in a minute, you're not allowed to give them an aliyah to the Torah. But then he says, that's only by heretics. If he's not an, a heretic, but he believes in God, even though he's a transgressor, even about Shabbos, because of his work. And this is a very common phenomenon in Rav Moshe's days, that a lot of Orthodox Jews had to go ahead and they went to work on Shabbos because they were afraid they would lose their job. So Vashar Tavot, and he says not only that, if for whatever reason somebody transgresses, but their identity is that of an Orthodox Jew, then he says, Have bracha. Then it's a bracha. You have to say amen. And you and you if when you say a bracha, other people fulfill their obligation. And therefore, he says, when it comes to the heretics, so we cannot obviously give them an aliyah because that would not be a legitimate bracha. Now, of course, the question is: until now, we've been talking about rabbis. What about the laity? What about people that aren't really blameworthy? They were always raised in this type of a community. So here again, Rav Moshe, and this is harsher than you normally would expect from him in terms of his attitude towards the laity, because the laity don't represent the same type of a threat of condoning and so on, and you want to bring them close. But nevertheless, he says the following. He says, Even if their different belief system, you know, their different ideology comes from the fact that this is how they were raised. from there because of their wicked uh, parents, uh, so attributing it to their parents. And it's like this Tino Kshinishba category. Since they don't believe, God's name is considered like not God's name. Again, that same attitude. Okay, and it's like they did not say the bracha with God's name. But if you do believe in God, and notice, and in God's Torah, because that is sort of not only, it's not enough to believe in God, you have to believe in God's Torah, which presumably means the oral Torah, the orthodox version of that, and so on. Even if they are sinners, then you are allowed to call them to the Torah. And then he has a fascinating discussion about our things better or worse on the Yomim Noraim. Should we say on the Yomim Noraim we try for a higher standard, so we should not call them to the Torah, people that are not observant? Or, he says, and this is so beautiful, so there's a very big shift here from exclusion to inclusion, he says, actually, maybe there's dafka reason on the Yomim Noraim to give them an aliyah. Certainly, you could say policy. They're coming to show. They don't come to show. maybe other times. You want to connect them and so on. And he also says, hey, it's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We should assume they're doing tshuva on all of their averas. And therefore, that's a greater reason to give them an aliyah dafka on, on, on the Yomim Narayim. But then he says, don't think I mean this for those that are not orthodox. But for the kofrim, even on the Yomim Narayim, you cannot. For the non-observant orthodox, ideally, you should try maybe to avoid if you can during the year, although you're allowed to. And on the Yomim Narayim, there's even more of a reason to give them such an honor. So that's a tshuva and where it's very 
powerful to show the difference, A, between non-observant Orthodox and other denominations, and also that in this case, he applied his attitude, and in this sense that it's like not even like they're saying God's name, even to the laity and not just to the rabbis. The last relevant tshuva is also from the third section of Or Chaim. It's number 21, and it's dated uh, 1965. And this is also about offering uh, shul honors to conservative and reform rabbis. So he's explicitly talking about rabbis, not about laity. And he repeats that you can't give them an aliyah, their bracha doesn't count, and so on. And then he asks, what about giving them something that doesn't involve a bracha, like hagba or glila or opening the aron? And here he says that technically there's no real prohibition, halachic issue. But he says, aval ein bahem. You should not give honor to heretics in exactly the matters that they that their heresy relates. So if he feels that they have a heresy relating to attitude towards the Torah, you should not give them an honor that relates to raising up the Torah or opening up the Aron. And then he says, and therefore there is a, because it's inappropriate, there's a prohibition of Hanifa. Hanifa is flattery. Um, and in a different Tshuva, Rav Moshe discusses what exactly is this prohibition of false flattery. And he says that, he argues that technically it might not apply if the honor that you're giving somebody, whatever might be motivating that honor, is not something that could be misinterpreted as a condoning of their wrong actions. And he actually here walks a little bit of a, of a, of a narrow line and concedes that giving people honor in this type of a context will not be interpreted as condoning their beliefs or their practices that you don't agree with. People do understand the context. It won't be interpreted that way. But nevertheless, he says it's inappropriate for the reasons he said. It's an honor relating to the Torah, and their positions about the Torah don't reflect sort of what we feel are the proper positions. And then he sort of comes out with an important principle he generally does about avoiding machlokas, avoiding debate. And he says, If there's a need and there's a serious need and it's going to lead to a lot of conflict, and also maybe you won't get as much tzedakah funds and donations, then he says, Then you can give them these honors if they do not involve brachot. So here, again, taking his position, it's about rabbi. Rabbis, it's not limited to brachot, technical issues. He extends it to honors, but with honors, he does says it's not a halachic issue. It's more a question of is it appropriate because of the way they relate to uh, the Torah from the orthodox perspective, and at the same time recognizing that uh, when there's a need, it would be acceptable because uh, we should not sort of say that uh, giving somebody an honor of this nature will be interpreted as condoning a practices or beliefs that uh, that we don't share. In the middle of this tshuva, he also refers to conservative and reform rabbis with terms that we haven't seen so far, although he uses them elsewhere. And he says, Elu rabbis kofi mamash so he's saying that they're not just heretics, but they are mumer lahachis. They're doing it to spite God, and they're mesit and mediach. Mesit and mediach means that they are actively seducing um, Jews away from the right path, causing Jews to sin, pushing them away from a life of Torah and mitzvot. So a much harsher terminology and labeling that we've seen until now, but this is of one that we find Rav Moshe does sometimes use in reference to conservative and reform rabbis. So what we really see is, again, a quite a hard line, specifically around reform and conservative rabbis, but in one or two places even extending to the laity, to the point that it really completely disqualifies their bracha, and again, not just out of 
technical level, but by a claim, maybe a halachic claim, that it's not even as if they're talking about God, which is just something that is very harsh, but perhaps Rav Moshe felt necessary uh, dealing with the issues that he was dealing with. Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out yctorah.org to learn more.